Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. O Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities, with which I have ever offended you, and justly deserve your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them, and sincerely repent of them. And I pray you of your boundless mercy, and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful being. Upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you. And in the stead, and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I therefore forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
exceedingly great and precious promises to those who trust in you. Dispel from us the works of darkness and grant us to live in the light of your Son, Jesus Christ, that our faith may never be found wanting. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The reading of the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament reading for this, the 27th Sunday after Pentecost and the second last Sunday in the church year, is from the prophet Zephaniah, the first chapter. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests, and on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar. For all the traders are no more. All who weigh out silver are cut off. At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent, those who say in their hearts, The Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Their goods shall be plundered, and their houses laid waste. And though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. A mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress 
and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading from 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. You are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. Hallelujah. We stand in respect of Christ, of whom the Holy Gospel is read. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 25th chapter. Jesus said, It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed, and so I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sowed, and gather where I, have, where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping, and gnashing of teeth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, We confess together our holy Christian faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, be begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. And was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended.
sits at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again with the glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, and I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text for today from the Holy Gospel, the 25th chapter of St. Matthew, these words in particular, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them, to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability, and he went on his journey. Our text, dear friends in Christ. What, when you were a child, was better than happening by chance into the kitchen when mom was baking and then casually snatching one of those freshly baked chocolate chip cookies right off the cooling rack. Remember that sensation, that feeling? Nothing could be better than being able to do that except perhaps if your mother was the sort who would give you, before she baked the cookies, some of that unbaked cookie dough. Both were good, whether it was the fully baked cookie or the unbaked cookie dough. What wasn't so good, and you might remember this well also, is that half-baked cookie. You could have the full cookie baked, you could have the unbaked cookie dough fine, but that half-baked cookie just wasn't a good, that mass of glutinous stuff that just sank down and finally got into your stomach and unsettled it, the half-baked cookie. And isn't it true, dear friends, that so many things that begin with the word half really aren't that good in life? Think about some of the words that do or the phrases that do half-bake. It's not good for cookies. It's not good for ideas, the half-baked idea. Half-life, things like nuclear waste that last thousands of years longer here on Earth than any of us will. Half-done, that's what you have already done, but you've got the other half to do. Not always a good feeling with that. Half-dead. Never the look that any of us want to go for. You see, half of most things, it seems, just isn't what's really something to look forward to. Unless it's half price, that's probably the one exception in the whole terminology. But perhaps the most dismal half of all things that we typically encounter in ourselves or in others or in our communities or in our churches or our families or our marriages, the worst half of all is half-heartedness. Think about it, half-heartedness. Few things are worse than being on the receiving end of a half-hearted gesture or a half-hearted compliment. What's worse than being on the end of a half-hearted commitment or a half-hearted love? I'll tell you what's worse. What's worse is being half-hearted toward God. What's the greatest command of all commandments, Jesus was asked. And how did he respond? He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. Never half, all. As someone has said about the danger of half-heartedness toward God, he said, if God were our enemy, we would at least give him our full attention. But when we're half-hearted, we simply don't care enough to make up our minds whether we love him or hate him. As conditions of the heart go, lukewarmness is the very worst. It's little wonder that the Lord Jesus says what he says about half-hearted lukewarmness when in the book of Revelation, remember, he addresses 
The church is in Asia Minor, and he says to the church of Laodicea, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You see, when all is said and done, there's really no such thing as half-hearted indifference toward God. Jesus said, he who is not for me is against me. There's no in-between ground. He said, he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. There's no in-between place. Half-heartedness is nothing other than a disguised, self-deceiving form of hatred toward God. A more politically correct form of it. We euphemistically call it indifference. But there's no middle ground when it comes to God. It's as the poet Robert Herrick put it. He said, God will have all or none serve him or fall down before Baal, Bel or Belial, either be hot or cold. God doth despise, abhor, and spew out all neutralities. Such divinely despicable half-hearted neutrality is exactly what we find in the heart of one of the servants in today's text. The worthless servant who the last words of the text say is cast then into the outer darkness. Consider what happens. The departing master entrusts his possessions, precious as they are, with three different servants. He gave each servant according to his ability, the text says. Doesn't give him any, any more than he can handle, not, not less. He gives him exactly what he needs. Each one of them, the master knows each of the servants that well, that he gives them exactly what they need. A talent for one, two for another, five for another. What's a talent? Well, some scholars of antiquity say that a talent was the amount that a worker would receive in 15 years, 15 years of wages in one talent. So five talents would be a lifetime's income, 75 years worth of salary, of wages given to the one master that the master leaves when he leaves for a time, 75 years worth, the lifetime's worth of income he gives to one, amazing generosity, and to another he gives two talents, it's still a sizable thumb, sum, two times fifteen, thirty years of wages for the second servant. Very generous indeed, and even to the one to whom he gives but one talent, there's still fifteen years worth of wages, the departing master is so generous toward each, though each received a different amount according to his ability. The first two servants, the one receiving five talents, the one receiving two, they both go out as soon as the master leaves and they make good use of what the master left them, gifts which they recognized as being good gifts which their master intended them to use. And as they did, so the talents, the parable tells us, doubled themselves before the master returned. They're pleased with the gifts and what they've done, and the master is pleased with them, pleased that they saw in faith that the value of the gift that he had left them was really in the use of that gift that he had left them. They used what he had left. And so to both he said exactly the same thing, well done, thou good and thou faithful servant. But spotlight of the text isn't on those two really, is it? Spotlight of the text is on the one who was given one, the third one. What does he do with the one talent that was entrusted to him? He buries it, puts it in the ground. 
trouble with the safekeeping principle is that it does nothing. It risks nothing for the master, for it has no confidence in the ability of the master's gift to do what the master said the gift could do. No confidence in the ability of the master's gift to reproduce itself. It treats the gift as though it were some dead museum relic to be hidden away rather than seeing it for what it is, a life-giving, a life-sustaining, a life-supporting possession that is left by the master, a gift that keeps giving and keeps giving and giving more and more right up until the day that the master returns to give us still more. Isn't that what the master told the first two servants when he returned? Well done, thou good and faithful servants, he says. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Our Lord Jesus, dear friends, has not left us without his precious gifts. He's not left us without his holy possessions. He's not left us without his holy provisions, which he has promised will be sufficient to sustain us until the day that he returns, that day of the Lord that the Apostle Paul speaks of in today's epistle when he says, as your bulletin cover says, he's going to come as a thief in the night, that day that the prophet Zephaniah refers to in the Old Testament lessons day when he quotes God as saying, quote, on that day declares the Lord, I will punish the complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good or the Lord will not do ill, the indifferent, the half-hearted, who foolishly in their half-heartedness are indifferent toward the coming wrath of God as they are toward the good gifts that God has left us to sustain us and to prepare us for the day of his visible return. What are those gifts? What are those divine possessions that he has given us that sustain us, that keep us going until he returns? Nothing less than his word and his sacraments. The treasures through which he has promised to work invisibly among us until he visibly returns again. His holy means of grace, we call them. That's what his servants are to be wholeheartedly receiving week in and week out, day in and day out. That's what we are to be wholeheartedly using. That's what we're to be wholeheartedly sharing day after day. For that is indeed the possession of God, the word of God, with the wholehearted message of Jesus Christ and his wholehearted commitment to each and to every one of us demonstrated so wholeheartedly in the cross where he died to pay for your sins and for my sins and for all of the half-heartedness that we've ever had in thought, in word, or in deed, all of that wholehearted grace of God there in Christ and in him crucified. That's what has the power to bring increase to the church of Jesus Christ as we visibly await him to return in glory. That's where the sacred possession of God is really at. And it's a little wonder, isn't it, when you think upon that, that Martin Luther, speaking of that power, of that sacred gift of God, that power of the word of God, said, the word seems to so many people in the world, he said, to be so small, so trifling a matter. But did that word not prove to be a thunderbolt so powerful that its impact, he said, turned the whole Roman Empire upside down with all of its wisdom and might and sanctity and turned it into a pile of rubbish? There lay Minerva, he said, the Roman goddess of wisdom. And there lay the whole Roman pantheon, he said, with all of its idols. And so Christ the hero, Luther says, came and 
beat everything down through the marvelous power of the word of his apostles. And nowadays, Luther writes, referring to the success that the Reformation had had, nowadays he says, what have I done? He said, I've never drawn a sword, but I've struck only with the sword of the gospel. And thereby has been accomplished far more than all of the emperors and the kings could have done with all of their earthly power. I've taken only the rod of God's mouth and beaten that upon man's heart. I've let God carry on. And I've let the word of God do its work. Look what the word of God can do, that sacred possession of God. Look what it does in our parable for today. When used and when invested as intended, it does what the talents of the master did while he was away. It multiplies itself over and over and over again when it's used as God intends. No surprise does exactly what God through the prophet Isaiah said it would do. My word, he said, shall not return unto me void and empty. Rather, it shall accomplish that for which I send it. And so also for us. It's not really what we do that brings the increase to the kingdom of God. It's the Spirit of God working through the word of God that's been entrusted to us to use until the Lord Jesus comes again. And so it was that the psalmist wrote, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name be the glory. And so it was that St. Paul said, Not I, but the grace of God has done it all. And so too Luther testified boldly, I've done nothing. The word of God has done it all. Wholeheartedly embrace that word, dear friends. Do so right here in the sanctuary as you faithfully hear the word read and preached and taught, wholeheartedly embrace that word as we study it and apply it in our lives together, wholeheartedly embrace that word and then teach it to your children, to your grandchildren, because after all, remember this, a hundred years from now, it's not going to matter at all whether or not your children or grandchildren lived in a mansion. It's not going to matter whether or not they wore brand name clothes. It's not going to matter whether or not they had a six or a seven year seven-figure salary each year of their lives, 100 years from now, what will matter for them and for you is whether or not you have Jesus Christ and whether or not he's in you and you're in him because that's the only increase that God brings is we're in Christ and he is in us. Beware, Luther said. Beware of being nauseated by this word of God and being disgusted with it. Don't become, he said, like those who were disgusted with the man in the desert. For the word of God, Luther said, is a food that increases the appetite of him who eats it. Therefore, the word should abound among us. Moreover, Luther said, we have the most certain promise of God that the word of God will not lack fruit as we diligently use it. The word of God will not lack fruit as we diligently use it. The word of God and his sacraments will produce fruit through you. That's the promise of God. He's going to do that through you. Nearly a thousand years ago, a Christian with a rather strange name, Gigoth Carthusian, 
reflected upon God's grace in his life. He thought about how God's grace had reached down into his life and had saved him from sin by connecting him to Jesus Christ, but he also reflected upon God's great grace and how God often used it to take the littleness and the nothingness of his life and so powerfully bring some good forth from it in ways that he never thought would be possible. So nearly a thousand years ago, Gico the Carthusian wrote these words, and he said, Lord, how much juice thou canst squeeze from a single grape, how much water thou canst draw from a single well, how great a fire thou canst kindle from the tiniest little spark, how great a tree thou canst grow from the tiniest seed. My soul, he said, is so dry that by itself it can't even pray. And yet from it thou dost squeeze the juice of a thousand prayers. My soul is so parched that by itself it cannot love. And yet from it thou canst draw boundless love for thyself and for my neighbor. My soul is so cold, he said, that by itself it has no warming joy. And yet within me thou dost light and ignite a fire of, of heavenly joy. My soul, he said, is so feeble that by itself it has no faith. And yet by thy power faith exists and grows within me to a great height. Vigo the Carthusian. He captured the essence of what God can and would work in you and through all of us. And what God for, did for him, he most certainly would do also for you. God has loved you so wholeheartedly in his Son. Such great love will work so much more in us than half-heartedness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Christ Jesus, all of whom await in confident expectation his coming. And let us too pray for all people according to their need. We pray. For causing us by his word and through his sacraments to come to the knowledge of the truth, that all men have been reconciled unto God in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we give thanks. And for the continued preservation of these means among, among us, to continue to accomplish the saving effect for which he sends them, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Strengthened by his grace, we pray for courage to confess boldly and unapologetically to those who do not know him, our Lord Jesus Christ, that they might also know him as we've been brought to know him, and that knowing him with us, they together with us might inherit eternal life. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For watchfulness and soberness of spirit, that we might not be overcome in the surprise of complacency when the last and great day of the Lord dawns. But we pray that, made to be children of the light, we would be enabled by the Holy Spirit to walk daily as is becoming of God's sons and daughters, living in the confident expectation of the coming of our brother and King, Christ Jesus. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For wise and strong leaders who will govern in humility and selflessness, for the prevalence of justice and integrity among the heads of state and court and Congress, that all who have been given authority from above to rule may perform their tasks and duties in accord with their calling, and that all citizens grant respect to their leaders and live in harmony with each other, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the preservation of unity and trust in our families, for the strengthening of marriages through the spirit of your love and through the fostering of forgiveness, for the right regard of children, for their parents and grandparents, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For favorable weather and the preservation of creation, for the necessities of life and for the willingness to share with those who stand in need our daily bread, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all who are sick or infirmed or ailing, including Paul Duell and Marguerite Helt, and Dick and Elsie Much, and Robert and Dorothy Latham, Hugh Ryan, plus also Eni Ubo, who continues to recover from post-surgical complications. We give thanks also with Marilyn Brewer, who gives thanks for success in surgery, and we pray that it would help accomplish its aim. For all who are in danger and in temptation, for those who are in who are persecuted for the sake of the holy name of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the truth, that the Lord would comfort them with his spirit, that in all hardship they may yet recognize the Heavenly Father's will, be stayed in the faith, and finally be rescued in God's grace. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For God's richness in our lives, as we celebrate birthdays and baptisms and anniversaries, gifts of family and friendships, and as this afternoon we celebrate the gift of music and the enhance, enhancement of the music and worship in this place, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For thankful hearts and faith to use with diligence and gladness and in confidence the gift of the blessed sacrament of the altar, the supper in which this very day comes to us, the very body and blood of Christ Jesus, for the forgiveness of all of our sins and the building up of faith in him, 
and love towards each other, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray that the day of salvation soon break forth, upon which Christ Jesus will appear in his glory and will gather his own to himself to live with him in life eternal. This and all other petitions we have brought and for all other things that he knows that we need, we pray that God, our Father, would grant them for the sake of his only begotten, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with the Father in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you holy lord almighty father everlasting god through jesus christ our lord who out of love for his fallen creation humbled himself by taking on the form of a servant becoming obedient unto death even death upon the cross risen from the dead he has freed us from eternal death and given us life everlasting Therefore, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, Supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, 
Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen.
Father, you have given us a foretaste of the feast to come in the holy supper of your Son's body and blood. Keep us firm in the true faith throughout our days of pilgrimage, that on the day of his coming we may, together with all of your saints, celebrate the marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom, which has no end. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. Give you his peace. Amen.